Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord be with you. Whether you're here in the sanctuary worshiping today or in the Family Life Center, or you are at home worshiping remotely, I want to welcome you into this time of worship. And I'm going to put my, my phone on the thing here. You know, we had a funeral to celebrate the, the life of Bo Haywood recently, and, and I shared the opportunity to celebrate his life with his brother-in-law, Ed. And, and Ed had been a preacher for more than 50 years. And so he gets up, and man, he commands a pulpit. He comes up, he takes his wristwatch off, puts it on the edge of the pulpit, and then just, just goes to town. Well, I don't have a wristwatch, so I'm going to put my watch here on the pulpit, right? As, and you know what it means when a preacher puts his, his watch on the pulpit? Nothing. <laughs> so get comfortable. Man, I am so excited about bringing this message to you, but before we begin, before we dive into rightly dividing the word of truth, I want to tell you there's some good news, and that is this Wednesday night, you're invited to be a part of a church-wide church conference session on Zoom because the Lord has brought before us the next person to become our children's pastor at JCBC. So yeah, you can celebrate with me. Under the leadership of our Children's Search Committee, under the leadership of Marilyn Hewitt, uh, and months of searching and discerning and going through resumes and Zoom interviews and hours of conversation in person as well, we have found the person we want to introduce to you for you in good Baptist fashion to vote and call uh, to be our children's pastor moving forward. So uh, you can register online. We sent that leak last week. We're going to send it again to you, and we want you to be a part of that special moment. Before we dive into the Word of God, let's take a moment to pray, to center the mind and the heart upon the possibility of hearing, seeing, and experiencing something new today. Let's pray. God, before we turn to your word that has been read before us, and before we consider the truths that are in it for us, we, we want to take a moment to simply stop and yield to the power of this moment, to yield to the power of this reality that we believe and confess that you are here that you abide in us and among us in ways so mysterious that we cannot possibly wrap words around it, yet we confess it that you're here. And if you're here, and we are here, then we hide nothing from you. And in this moment, whether we are gathered in one room or another or in our homes, Lord, in this moment, we bring before you our burdens. We bring before you our fears. 
Lord, some of us are just barely hanging on today. It's a miracle any of us have even tuned in to this moment, and yet we tune in upon the faint hope that tuning in will make all the difference. So Lord, help us to tune in to you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing other than you. So that in hearing what you have to say to us, we may be so transformed that we leave this hour and we change the world. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. So it was 1998, and there was an auction, a benefit auction, charity auction in Denver, Colorado to benefit the, uh, the hospice of Greater Denver. And it was a celebrity auction. That meant that several big names were present, but it also meant that several big names, big celebs, had donated items toward the cause. And one woman who was present, Rita Coors. You may recognize the name Rita Coors. You may recognize the Coors family name. If you do, don't raise your hand. You're in church. So you shouldn't recognize the name, right? But Rita Coors was there. And you know, she was excited because she heard the auctioneer declare those words you want to hear when you've made a bid. Going once, going twice, sold, the gavel slams down. And she knew in that moment that she had won this item that she had bid for $7,000. She purchased a gorgeous porcelain mask that had been hand-painted by John Denver, the singer, just weeks before he died, weeks before that fateful, tragic airplane accident that, that took his life. She was so excited. She, she came up to, to gather the item that she had won, and it slipped through her hands, and it shattered in a million pieces on the ground. In that moment, the the whole crowd just kind of gasped in disbelief. But you know what she did? Instead of whining about it, instead of you know, demanding that they withdraw her bid, instead of pitching a fit all about it, you know what she did? She bends down and she scoops up the pieces to this broken mask and she takes them home and she rearranges the broken pieces of this mask around a, a photo and an album of John Denver. And she made something beautiful out of that which is broken. And I want that to frame our conversation today or our, our sermon today because the truth is there is a kind of beauty that can only come after brokenness. There's a kind of beauty that can only come after brokenness. And this world and, and all that is in it was designed with great beauty in mind. And God fashioned the universe and, and filled it, every particle, every subatomic particle with God's own presence, and God's own action. It was a work of beauty. But it doesn't take like five minutes for you and I to look around and see that there is brokenness everywhere, that it is not beautiful at first sight. That there are broken pieces, and we've been saying during this sermon series that we live in a fractured and fracturing world. And in the world in which you know there are broken pieces of God's original design lying everywhere, I am here to proclaim to you 
that in Jesus Christ, God was, is, and is always up to something good, and that is, in Christ, God is bending down to be among us and scoop together the broken parts, not just of our own individual lives, but God in Christ has knelt down to scoop together the broken parts of our shared collective human journey, human experience. And that is what this text is all about, that Glenn read in the sanctuary, that that Adam read in the Family Life Center. Because at the heart of this opening chapter in Ephesians, there is this, this claim that God is up to something. It is not by accident that you and I move and groove and have our being, that God is up to something always. And in the first 14 verses of the first chapter of Ephesians, in the Greek text, it's all one sentence. I mean, here in the English text, we have all kinds of great punctuation and semicolons and commas and quotation marks, but in the Greek, it's one long run-on sentence with one phrase crammed up against the other, jammed on top of each other, and it's filled with all kinds of deep belief that the writer wanted to convey about what God is up to in bending down and scooping together the broken pieces of this beautiful world. And there are places in there where we read about a God who designed it out of love, who chose us for adoption, who bears with us, who forgives us, who calls every distinct individual to a life of purpose and intentionality and and calling And in the midst of that kind of flow of one belief right after the next, there are two verses out of all that was read a moment ago. There are two verses that really just stand up off the page for me. And in these two verses, there is tucked away a few words that may actually have the power to make a difference to any of us who have have become awake to the true brokenness of the world. Words that actually can repair it now and forever. The verse that I'm talking about begins really at the end of verse number 8. And we hear these words. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his pleasure, his good pleasure, that, that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, watch, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This, these two verses are crammed with it. It begins with, with all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. When we hear the word will, sometimes we think, of willing something into being. But in the Greek mind, the Greek text, the word that is used for will is also a word that can be translated desire. Do you know that God is not just among us willing things into being, but God is in and among us desiring something. There is something of a deep, gut-level desire within the nature of God, a desire he's made, making us known or, or making known to us the depth of this desire, this will. According to his 
his pleasure, which he set forth in Christ. There is something that happened in Christ that brought pleasure to God. There's something in Christ that is happening that that brings a deep level of delight and satisfaction. And what in the world is it? It's this. As a plan for the fullness of time to gather all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to gather all things up. Now, in our text, that's a nice phrase, to gather all things up, but in the Greek text, there's this amazing word because that whole phrase, to gather things up, literally is one word. It's like the best word I've ever heard. Anakephaliasify. Now, granted, I know that you already used that at breakfast this morning. Anakephaliasify. I mean, it just kind of rolls right off your tongue, doesn't it? Man, if, if you can use anakephaliasify, like at Scrabble, if you can play anakephaliasify in words with friends, that game, my friend, is over. That's better than like anthropomorphism. You know, it's, like you, it's a multisyllabic word, but it means so much. Anakephaliasathai literally means this, to gather up, sum up, bring together, unify, unite, bring back together. It's made up of several words, as you might imagine. Anna, Anna means, well, Anna means to come up again or upward or bring back again. And kafale, kafale is a word in Greek that means head. It's to bring back together to a head. Literally, this is what the phrase technically means. To bring together under one head. To scoop things that have been previously disjointed and gather them back under one head. Christ. To scoop everything. To scoop what back up? To scoop what and gather what back up? Well, there's another word, pos and pos. You know what that word means? All. Well, all of what? All of all. Everything. Every particle in the known universe. Every subatomic particle in every atom that has always belonged to God but has been doing its own work in every particle that's in you, scattered as you may feel, is being in Christ scooped back up into God. If we were to put everything into one nice kind of paraphrase, everything I'm trying to spit at you right now, it would be this. God has revealed God's deepest desire. The thing that brings God the greatest delight is that in Christ, he has set forth a plan for the fullness of time. And that plan is to gather back up, to unite, bring back together under one head all things. All things in heaven and all things on earth. Repeat after me. All things means all things. In Christ, something is happening even before and after we even recognize it, God is in Christ scooping together everything that had previously been, well, shattered. When God looks around the same world that you and I look around, God sees. I mean, what do we think? That he, he can't see the things that, that, are, that are plain to us? We, God sees the broken fragments of Eden 
scattered all over the garden. He sees the broken shards of the original mask of humankind now broken and fragmented in a fragmenting world. But in Christ, something so magnificent was underway that in him, in the fullness of time, all of time before and all of time after kind of finds its head, its kafale, in this one person, and all is being scooped up under him now and forever. Do you know that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was more than just a way for you and I to have something to do on Sunday mornings? More than just our ticket out of one world and into the next. Do you realize the cosmic nature of the the sufficiency of the cross of Christ? In fact, if you were to really understand what it means to be a part of religion itself, we like to say to ourselves, you know, well, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm more spiritual. And that's fine, say what you want to say, but we are part of a religion, right? And do you know that at the very base ground level of what it means to understand religion, The definition of religion is from the Latin, religio, which means to religament. To re, everything that you and I do or attempt to do as a part of this faith ought to be about religamenting the broke, like like ligaments in your body, putting back together the parts of the body that have been scattered and broken all across this fracturing and fragmenting world to re-ligament means to put back together. And I just want to say, if your religion, if your religion does not major on re-ligamenting the broken, scattered, and separated, it is time for you to get a new religion. Somebody say amen. You and I both understand that all kinds of religions have the capacity to do the opposite of religamenting. I mean, in any religion, including the Christian religion, you and I both know that there are some expressions of our Christian religion that do nothing to religament the broken world, but in many ways continue to drive a wedge and make people afraid of those people and that person and these things, and in many ways does the opposite of what religion is supposed to do, which is re-ligament a broken world. So Paul, and he's writing to the Ephesians, and he's attempting to show them how grand this is. This isn't just about what happens in you when you come to recognize Christ. It's about what's happening in the whole of the universe. And so we're in chapter 1 of Ephesians, but you know, if we were to continue on to the next chapter, you know what we would see? We'd see Paul start to talk about some things that were very specific to his day. He knew that there was some insider and outsider thoughts. He knew that there was an us and them mentality, and it came from their religion. He knew that there were some who, because they were part of Abraham's lineage, because they were part of the covenant, they were the insiders. But the Gentiles, all those who were not part of the inside, well, they were kept out. And so he, he takes his time to address this reality. That though the world used to be chopped up like that, where there are some who are in and some who are out, some who are holy and some who are unholy, some who are sacred and some who are profane, 
The truth is, he says, in Christ, all of those barriers and partitions that divide uh, us from them, them from us, has disappeared. And, and he describes in a very specific way what I think is also, also symbolic. He describes what I, just, what I call this morning dyads of division. So in the first century, they absolutely knew what he meant when he said, look, there are Jews and Gentiles. And the wall of separation, man, it is so thick you can't cross it. You've got to become a Jew to be accepted. You've got to become part of the faith to come in, right? He knew that they knew what he meant. But these dyads of division aren't just first century. We talked in the, I guess, last week about how in the first century there were, well, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, uh, slave and free, and we talked last week about the reality that those barriers were, were in their face all the time. But you don't have to live in the first century to be aware, to be acutely aware of the dyads of division that are among us. There are divisions between black and white, between red states and blue states, divisions between, well, this part of my family watches CNN and this part of my family watches Fox. There are dyads of division everywhere you look. Well, you know, on, on, on social media, this person uses hashtag Black Lives Matter, but this person uses hashtag All Lives Matter, and there's a wall of division separating their understanding of one another. There are those who stand and those who kneel. There are those who are in and those who who are out, and no matter where you look, old, young, rich, poor, there are dyads of division all around us. It's been that way for a very long time. Well, since the moment the mask of humanity shattered upon the floor of Eden. And yet, Paul says, in Christ... All of these walls of division that formerly kept you away, they're being removed. So he picks up in chapter 2, and we read these words starting in verse 13. Listen to this. This is gorgeous. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. You know, the, you and I can spend all kinds of good energy creating pathways to peace, and we should. We can pass great legislation creating a pathway to peace between us, and we should. And we pursue certain political personalities to make sure that we create pathways to peace that are sustainable and just in the society in which we live, and we should. But until we realize that the only authentic, endurable relationship or pathway to peace is through Jesus Christ, it's all a waste of time. That in Christ Jesus, he is our pathway to peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one. Both groups. Which groups? Well, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, yeah. But what about the two groups inside your head? What about the group that's on the other side of whatever wall that separates you from them? Both groups into one. 
And, and he's broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself, listen to this phrase, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So, so last week, when we're talking about cancel culture, I told you that last week, you know, because of the cross of Jesus, God has canceled the very thing that disqualified you for fellowship with God. That in the cross of Jesus, that he canceled out, literally canceled the, the record of offenses that you had against you. And last week I said that in Christ, he not only canceled the offenses that were against you, but canceled the offenses that were against anyone else who offends you or with whom you disagree or with whom you have a serious problem. And so if he has actually canceled not only your offenses and the offenses of those who offend you, but I said last week is that the cross canceled cancellation itself. And today, in this text, I'm saying to you, we know that we live in a world filled with walls that separate us, ideological walls, theological walls, uh, political walls, uh, economic walls, gender walls, cultural walls. But the truth is, on the cross, every false barrier of separation has been put to death, crucified with Christ is the separation that kept you from God. But not only what kept you from God, but in Christ there was the crucifixion of every false lie of separation between you and the other with whom you have a real problem existing in this world. And that's not easy for me to hear. I know it's not easy for you to hear. But in Christ, the cross has canceled out and broken down the dividing wall because you know what he's up to in the cross. He literally said it right here, taking the two humanities and making them one new humanity in Christ. You're like, well, Sean, we talking about there's not more than one humanity. Yeah, yeah, there is. You know there is. I mean, up here, there are two humanities. And here, there are two humanities. We're so dualistic and, and kind of bifurcated in our soul that we, we constantly stack people up in terms of us and them. In and out, holy and unholy, sacred and profane. And you know what we typically do? We typically do this. We typically size ourselves up as the ones who are holy. And we typically size up if there's going to be an unholy group, well, it's the other one. It's the other person, other group, other, other people. Do you imagine, can you imagine what would happen if we reverse that rule of thumb? Because we typically see others at their worst and judge them by their worst moment. And we typically judge ourselves by our best and judge ourselves by our best moment. What if we could reverse it and actually see in them something more than the thing that offends us? And what if we can see in ourselves that part that needs to be nailed to the cross. Imagine the humility that could tear down walls 
in Christ's name. So there are always two humanities, but God is a in Christ. I am merging two humanities into one, into a brand new one humanity where God is above and below and around all of us. All means all. Scooping everything together. This must be what is meant in 2 Corinthians when we hear these words, right? If anyone is in Christ, therefore they are, they are a new creation. Everything that is old has passed away and everything, behold, everything has become new. Well, what is it that's passed away in Christ? This morning, I say, the thing that's passed away in Christ upon the cross is the divided life. No longer do you and I have to live divided between us and God. A way has been made possible to access God through Christ so that there is no longer a divided life. But I'm saying to you that that erasure of division extends not just between humanity and divinity, but the cross of Christ was so all-sufficient that it erases the false barriers that we erect between us and us. God is up to something bigger in Christ than any of us have ever imagined. All means all, that God is scooping all the broken pieces, the shards of your broken life, the shards of my broken life, and they come together into one new redeemed humanity. And you're like, well, Sean, okay, sounds great. But pastor, come on. I mean, I see what you're trying to do, Sean. I mean, you talk about oneness, unity. The world could use some unity right now. I get that. I'm with you. It sounds all great, but there are some real differences here we're talking about. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. But, Sean, it sounds so good to think about us all being one humanity, and then you get your guitar out, and I've been telling you for like three weeks now. I'm not talking about something light and fluffy, and everybody just feel good about being together. I'm not talking, like I said last week, I'm not saying that that unity is sameness. No. But unity includes our differences. It includes those who are like us and those who are so unlike us in every other aspect we can't possibly imagine while we're sharing a pew together. And you know what makes me think about this? Vegetable beef stew. You didn't see that coming, did you? Well, you know what my wife does for a living, right? You know, she's a chef, and she teaches students in high school to become chefs, to be capable in vocations of culinary arts, and she's amazing. But can I tell you that in the mornings, when we're getting ready for our day, early in the mornings before we scatter and do our thing, do you know, I know it's going to be a good day when I see Laura pulling out the crock pot. Oh, come now. Come, thou fount of many blessings. Listen, when she brings out that crock pot, I know it's going to be a good day. And do you know why? Because around 5 or 6 o'clock that evening, when I come home and I come into a house or or one of the doors that leads to the kitchen, I am going to be overwhelmed by this most glorious aroma. It will overtake my olfactory glands. I will walk over to the crock pot and I will gently uh, remove the top and there will billow around my head this most wonderful cloud of steam and 
And my eyes will water, not because there's steam in my eyes, but because I'm about to cry. Because I know what's been up all day long. Because all day long, simmering together in the same juices have been, oh, a side of beef so tender now that, that it, it just melts in your mouth. Oh, come on. Somebody's got a witness out here. Yeah, and not only the beef, but I know that all day long there has been in there, well, some celery and some carrots, some onions that are nice and soft and, and have been stewing with, oh, some potatoes and tomatoes, maybe llama beans and green beans. I know there might be a little corn in there, and I can guarantee you there may be as many as 15 to 20 ingredients all in that same crock pot, stewing and boiling and simmering all day long. So I reach in. I make sure nobody's looking. And I take just a little piece, just a little piece of that beef that's been oh, marinating in that, in that beef stock. And just before I'm about to taste it, somewhere, Laura on the other side of the house knows and tells me to, that it's not time to put it back, right? But I know that if I just take one taste, I'm going to have a foretaste of something so divine of what is to come a little later that I just am alive with anticipation, with true aliveness, right? And I'm trying to tell you at no point during the day when that crock pot was on and doing its job, no point during that day did the celery stop being celery. And at no point did the carrot cease being a carrot, nor the potato cease being a potato, nor the tomato or the llama bean or the green beans. No time in there did the corn say to the carrot, I have no need of you. But instead, instead, because each of them in their distinctness, Cooking together, the longer they cook together, it is their diversity, their distinctness that actually creates, wait for it, something new that could not have otherwise existed until they stewed together in perfect harmony. And I'm telling you, my sisters and brothers, this is the plan of the church of Jesus Christ. This is what God was up to gathering all the broken pieces with all of our distinct stories, all our distinct perspectives, all of our different opinions and, and ways to orient into life. God scoops all of us together under one head, Christ. And the longer you and I abide with one another and learn to abide our differences, the longer we love together and serve together and mobilize our compassion together, the longer we struggle together and suffer together, the longer that we, well, we heal together and bind up the wounded together, the longer we overcome the minor differences that tear the rest of the world apart, the more we do that, we become an aroma that the world will have its mouth watering over. Because this world is so hungry for something like that. To exist in a new kind of humanity. That they are waiting on us to show them what it looks like. This is the will of the Lord our God. And this, if you can't tell, is the deepest desire of this pastor for this church. 
That when our neighbors drive by the steeple, they know that underneath the steeple are people who are not in agreement with every jot and tittle of the law. But they are absolutely in agreement that it's this, oh, this great crockpot of love, the, the great, the great uh, stock of Jesus' transforming love is changing us and changing one another, which allows us to show the world a new way to be alive. Somebody say amen. But none of what I'm saying today actually matters. None of it. Until you come to a place where you yourself, where I myself say, you know, I recognize God. That I want to be a part of a new humanity that is bound together, gathered up, re-ligamented but I can't, I can't be a part of that until I let you re-ligament the broken parts in my heart, the broken parts in my mind. My family has gone through a thing. My, my own personal spiritual journey has gone through a thing. At times, I've never felt as lonely or isolated or as hopeless as I've felt lately. And so I'm, I'm like this mask that's been shattered on the floor. And, and I want you to scoop me back together under one head. Maybe that's what you need to pray today. Maybe you're in the sanctuary, family life center, or you're at home and you need to pray that. And I'm telling you this because maybe these are the words that you need to use. God, I'm tired. I'm so tired of trying to hold my life together. <laughs> I'm so tired of trying to put my family back together just exhausted at trying to put together all of my doubts over here and all the things that I still believe over here and I don't know how to reconcile them both but Lord if you are the one who re-ligaments things that have been scattered then here I am completely and, and unabashedly so I yield to you Christ and, and I yield to the possibility that you can do something with my life that I can't do with my life. And if, if you're willing, I will follow. Take me now. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins that simple. By a yielded heart, a mind who is yielded and humbled, a life that is laid before the one who can do something with it. And maybe you prayed that just this very moment. But if you're at home and you can't speak to any of us face-to-face, -face, we want you to email us. Email us at connect at jcbc.org. And when you do, we're going to reach back out to you and talk to you about what you prayed today. Now it is the time to take all those prayers and all these thoughts and let them grow feet. So if you can, and if as you're able, if you'll stand right where you are in the sanctuary as well as in the Family Life Center, stand to your feet. We prepare for the benediction because wherever it is that you go from here, whether you walk forward and speak to one of our pastors or you walk out and scatter into this world that is so desperate to smell the aroma of oneness upon you, wherever you go, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step 
further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. And Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and, and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Amen. Go in peace.